My name's Elliot. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this summer movie series, Box Office Wisdom. So this is the last one in the series, and we're finishing it with this movie, Secret Life of Pets. And if you've been with us over the summer, you know that what we've done is we've taken a look at some of these main movies at the theater and identified what are either the primary themes, messages, or even what are some of the challenges that the main characters faced. And how does that apply to maybe what we face in our lives and what does God say about that? So that's what we've been doing this summer. And in this movie, Secret Life of Pets, there's actually an interesting um, comparison to be made between uh, the character's natural approach to get their way and solve the problems they face and interact with other people and how similar that is to kind of our natural approach to life and the trouble that we end up in. So that's kind of What we're going to take a look at this morning is this natural approach that we have and how we can change that. And in the movie, you see this come about because there's kind of two main characters that it follows. The first one is Max. And Max is kind of a cute little dog. He lives with his owner in this Manhattan apartment. And he's got the perfect life. And he's with his owner and they're best friends. And he wouldn't call them soulmates, but he says if somebody else saw them interact, they would probably refer to them as soulmates. But then something happens, see, his owner, Katie, brings home another dog, this big, hairy, smelly, slobbery beast named Duke. And Max just, he can't stand this. And so Max, he's got to get Utopia back. He's got to get his perfect life back. So he goes about trying to accomplish his goal. He has a natural approach to accomplish his goal. And as he carries out this natural approach, he ends up just making a mess of everything and really ruining what he has. Then you got Duke, on the other hand, this dog who's brought home by Katie. And for Duke, he's in a little different situation. He's brought into the apartment, and for him, this is the chance of a lifetime. See, he has been in the pound two times already, so he's got two strikes. Next time he goes to the pound, that's it for him. No more opportunities. He's going to be put down, and he knows that, so he has to make this life work. He's got to figure it out. He's got to take advantage of it, literally, because his life depends on it. But he, very similar to Max, he has a natural approach to things. And so in order to accomplish his goal of making this perfect situation work, he actually just makes a mess of it. He actually ruins the situation through his natural approach. And then as you follow the characters through the movie, they have to learn a whole new approach to life. You know, there's a lot of similarities to us. See, we have natural approaches to life, natural approaches to accomplish our goals, to interact with other people, to get what we want, to you know, accomplish our dreams, whatever it might be. We have these natural approaches. Then as we look back over our lives, our natural approaches, oftentimes they end up making a mess of stuff. They take something that was good, a great opportunity, a really promising relationship, maybe a great friend, and then stuff happens over time. And through our natural approach, we just kind of screw it all up. And then we're left asking the question, how in the world did it go so wrong? Well, the Bible actually has an answer to that question. And what the Bible says is all of the trouble that we create is a result of what's inside of our hearts. That's what it says in Proverbs 4.23. It says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows out of your heart. If you see a river and you see water moving, if you go upstream far enough, you'll find the source. Where did all that water come from? What is this water flowing out of? Same way with your life. Your decisions, the direction that you set, the way that you treat other people, all that stuff that you do, even all the stuff that you see other people do where you're just asking yourself the question, what in the world are they doing? 
It all comes out of what's inside of their heart. Everything we do flows out of what's inside of our heart. It's actually similar to the way that a cockpit on an airplane works. See, in the Bible, when the Bible uses the term heart, it's not just referring to this organ inside of us that beats, but it's referring to the core of who you are, the decision-making center, where the, where the controls are and you set direction for life, just like the cockpit on an airplane. That's where the controls are. Whoever's in the cockpit is going to determine where that plane is going to go. Same way with our hearts. That's why, because of terrorism and as for what happened on 9-11, what we've done is we've locked those cockpits down. We've secured the doors so that the wrong people can't get in there because we know how dangerous it can be if the wrong thing gets inside the cockpit. Same way with our hearts. If the wrong stuff gets into our hearts, then at a minimum, we'll just waste a big portion of our life because we'll be off track in the weeds. Or even worse, if the wrong stuff's in our heart, we can destroy our own lives. We can run them into the ground. We can crash our lives because the wrong stuff's in our heart. The wrong stuff has access to the controls. That's why in this verse, it says, above all else. This is the most important. This is the top. Above everything else, guard your heart because what you do in life, it starts with what's inside of your heart. But there's a challenge that we face. And that challenge is that every single human heart comes standard with three problems built in. There are three things that all of us have in common, all of us have inside of our hearts. We're actually born with these things, the Bible says. And these are what cause the messes that we get into. These are what cause the brokenness and the trouble and all the chaos and the confusion that we experience. It comes from these things, these three things that are inside of our hearts. So what are these three things in the human heart? Well, this is what it says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. It says this. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The first thing that's in the human heart is selfishness. The word in this verse is the word folly. In the Hebrew, this word means a stubborn determination to have my way. Inside of every heart is this selfishness, this stubborn determination to have our own way. And it says this is in the heart of every child. It's bound up. It's kind of tangled in there with everything else. That's what's going on inside of the heart. Now, why is it folly? Why is it foolishness for a child to be selfish, to have this stubborn determination to have my way, to come to a conclusion that what I want is what's best for me? Why is that foolish for a child? Well, simply because the child doesn't know what's best for them. I mean, take my little girl, for instance. I I have this amazing little daughter, but if it was up to her, all she would eat is whipped cream, brownies, and snow cones. That is it. That is all she would eat. I actually didn't realize this, but she actually knows where the whipped cream is in the fridge. And yesterday, she snuck around me, got it out, went in the other room, and was trying to figure out how the can worked so she could get it out. And then what do you think she did when I took it away from her to give her a healthy snack that's much better for her? What do you think she did? Oh, she let me have it. She could not believe that dad would not give her what she wanted. But we all know, how unwise would that be if my daughter's nutrition of her diet consisted of whipped cream, brownies, and snow cones. We all know that that would be incredibly unwise. See, she doesn't know enough to know what's best for her. So why as adults is it foolish or folly for us to have a selfish approach to life? Well, it actually works out the same way. We actually, at the end of the day, we don't know what's best. We might get more educated than our kids. We might make better dietary choices than our children, but we'll never know more than God. We'll never have all the facts. We'll never know everything that's going on. So for us to come to the conclusion and say, what I want is what's best for me, 
simply because we don't have all the facts, that's just foolishness. It's foolish to take a selfish approach to life. But just like with children, it's bound up in our hearts. It's in there. As long as we live, we are going to have these selfish hearts. And what our selfish hearts say is they say this. They say, I want what I want. That's what every single heart says. It says, I want what I want. We might be able to hide our selfishness. We might not throw fits when we get our, don't get our way like my little girl does. But it's still inside of each one of our hearts is this selfishness, this stubborn determination to have our way. But unfortunately, there's more in the heart than just selfishness. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes 9.3. It says this, says, This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. That's the most encouraging verse I'm going to read today. (laughs) The next thing that's in our heart is arrogance. In this verse, it's the word madness. Actually, it's the Hebrew word halela. And it's the same, this word halela has the same Hebrew word, root, root word for our word hallelujah. They come from the same word. Hallelujah means to exalt, to lift up, to praise. So like in our songs this morning, we're singing praise to God. We're really singing hallelujah to him. God is to be praised. He's to be lifted up as the most important person. And so we sing that to him. Now, if I got up here on stage and I said, okay, I'm going to lead everybody in a song of hallelujah to Elliot. We're all going to praise me. I would be crazy. You guys be like, Elliot, that is sheer madness. You're delusional. You're insane to think that you're the most important person. But we all have these arrogant hearts that tell us that. They say, I'm the most important person in the room. Actually, all that's going on, it, it revolves around me because I'm so important. So then you add our selfishness to that. Our selfishness says, I want what I want. And then you tack on arrogance. And what our hearts say is, I deserve it. Not only do I want what I want, but I deserve it. I should have what I want just just because of who I am, because I've raised myself up as the most important, as the exalted one. All of us have these arrogant hearts inside of us. The next thing that's in our heart is damage. In this verse, it's the word evil. The Hebrew word here is the word raw. It kind of just sums up what this is. It's just kind of this, oh. What it is is it's a willingness to hurt other people. Now, this is not saying that, okay, you get up in the morning, and when you woke up this morning, your whole goal was, who could I find to inflict pain on today? That's not what this is saying. You're not waking up asking the question, who can I hurt? But what's happening is, see, I'm selfish. I am. And I'm arrogant. And guess what? You're selfish and you're arrogant too. So it's only a matter of time between the, before those wills collide. And when that happens, you know what? I'm willing to walk on you to get what I want. That's what it comes down to. I'm willing to hurt you in order to get what I feel I deserve in the thing that I want. That's what our selfish hearts say. Our selfish hearts start with, we want it bad enough. And then because we're arrogant, we're saying, we deserve it. So if it comes down to you or it comes down to me, well, then I'm willing to walk over you to get what I want. So you add these three things up, and what you find is every single human heart is sad. They're selfish, they're arrogant, and they're damaging. They want what they want, they believe they deserve it, and we're willing to hurt others if they get in our way. This is what our hearts say. This shows up most often in our relationships with one another. If you look at life, it really shows up in all areas of life, but our relationships are where it's most obvious. And the reason is, is these three, they're anti-other people. 
I mean, it's about what I want. It's about what Elliot wants. It's about what Elliot deserves. It's about what Elliot's willing to do to get what he wants and he deserves. Hey, if you agree with me, awesome. Jump on the train. Let's do this. Support my selfishness and my arrogance. But if you disagree with me or if you get in my way, I don't want to hurt you, but I'm willing to do what it takes to get what I want. That's inside of every single one of our hearts. So then the question is, well, what do we do about this? What do we do about this selfishness, arrogance, and damage, these sad hearts that we have? Well, should we just stop being selfish? I mean, what if we did that? What if my next step today was just, okay, I'm going to end the message here. Never be selfish ever again for the rest of your life. Just don't do it. Never think you deserve it. Never be arrogant. Never think you're the most important person. Just stop. Just never do that. Well, no, that's obviously not possible. The Bible says it's bound up in our hearts. It's in our hearts as long as we live. We have this kind of heart. So what do we do about it? Well, it turns out that God actually offers us something that's exactly what we need. See, we need a new heart. And it turns out that that's exactly what God offers us. He offers us a new heart. He offers us a power that will counter the selfishness, the arrogance, and the damage that's inside all of us. It's actually a verse about this in the book of Ezekiel. It's a passage written before Jesus came to earth, and it's talking about what Jesus was going to do. This is what it says, Ezekiel 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, this was written long before Jesus ever came, but it's describing what Jesus came to do. See, he didn't just come to pay the debt of our sin. He didn't just come to die on the cross. He came actually to put a new heart in us and give us God's spirit to live with us. And what it's saying here is it says he's going to remove the heart of stone, a heart that doesn't feel guilt about these three, a heart that can just fly right past what God's instructed and it's cold and hard to what, cold and hard to what God has said. And he'll put in us a heart of flesh, a heart that can be convicted, a heart that's attentive to the things of God. And he says he's going to give us a new set of desires. And with this new set of desires, they're going to compete with the selfishness, the arrogance, and the damage that's inside of us. And he says he'll move us to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. Because of what Jesus has done, because of this new heart, now we have a fighting chance to change. Now instead of this same approach, this sad approach that we've always taken that's gotten us into all these messes, now we actually have an alternative There is another option for us to choose. But if we're going to receive this new heart, this offer that's universal, it's made to everybody. Everybody gets this offer. But the question is, are we going to follow Jesus? That's the decision to receive the new heart, a decision to, I'm going to follow Jesus. But if you're going to follow somebody, you need to know who they are. And so in the Bible, there's actually two terms often used when saying who Jesus is, and they really help us know what it means to follow him. The first term is the word Savior. A savior is a person who saves. So what is Jesus saving us from? If we refer to him as our savior, what is he saving us from? Well, what he's saving us from is he's saving us from experiencing the eternal consequences for this mess that we made. That's what he's doing. He's repairing our relationship with God and preventing us from being punished for all of eternity because of what we've done. That's what Jesus is saving us from. That's what it means for him to be our savior. A lot of people, they'll acknowledge that they've made a mess of life and they've messed up and they can even identify for themselves, yeah, I in fact do have a sad heart. But then they'll kind of take the approach sometimes that we do maybe in like 
marriage or dating relationships where we kind of make a mess of things or say something that the other person doesn't like. Okay, I'll just buy them a dozen flowers and maybe buy some ice cream on the way home. Kind of just smooth over what we did and, you know, oh, if I just do enough good stuff, they'll be happy with me. We'll do a really similar thing with God. We'll say, well, if I'll just go to church, well, then God will be happy with me. Well, if, if I'm just nice to people, if I'm just a really good person, if I'm just kind, if I'm just kind, well, then, well, then God will be happy with me and I can fix this mess that I've done. No, if Jesus is your Savior, then what you're saying is there's nothing you can do to fix the mess that you've made. And you need Jesus to save you from the consequences of that mess. That's what it means for Jesus to be your Savior. The second word used to describe who Jesus is is the word Lord. Lord, we don't, we don't use this term very often. And what it means is it's a person who has authority. So what it's describing is when we refer to Jesus as Lord, it's saying he has the authority. He's the one who has the authority to lead me in my life. Now, why would someone ever give somebody else the authority to lead them? Well, the only reason we would do this is because we've seen where our sad hearts have gotten us. We recognize that if I just keep doing things my way, if I keep taking my same approach, I'm just going to keep getting in the same mess and making it worse over and over. So I need Jesus to be my Lord. It's actually kind of similar to my little girl. If, if we just left Olivia on her own, again, all she would eat, whipped cream, brownies, and snow cones. That's all she would eat. That is not wise. Those are not good dietary choices. She needs her mother and I to help her choose to eat the right thing. Same thing with God. When Jesus is our Lord, see, on our own, we're just going to keep making unwise decision after unwise decision in our life. When Jesus becomes our Lord, we're admitting, hey, I'm just going to keep ending up in the gutter. I need Jesus to lead me. I, I recognize that on my own, I can't make these wise life choices. I need Jesus to be my authority. That's what it means for him to be your Lord. That's the decision to receive the offer of the new heart, the decision that Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, I'm going to accept this new heart. And when we get that new heart, we get a whole set of new desires, desires to choose the right thing. We get the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, to live inside of us. Actually, we have now the power to choose the right thing. But if we're going to experience life change, it doesn't stop with the new heart. It starts with the new heart, but there's another thing that we need. Second thing that we need is we need a new attitude. We need a new approach to go along with the new desires that God's given. That's what it says in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 22. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. What this passage is written to, the people it's written to, is it's written to people who had recently decided to accept this new heart. They had accepted the new heart that Jesus gave, but they kept falling back into their old pattern of life. They kept making decisions based on their selfishness, their arrogance, and the damage that's within them. So why would people who received the new heart, why would they keep making those same mistakes that they made in the past? Why would they keep making a mess of things? Well, it's because of what it says here. It says that they had to adopt. They had to choose this new attitude. See, what an attitude is, is an attitude is the angle at which we approach life. When we encounter circumstances or situations or other people, our attitude is how we approach that. They had the new heart. They had the desires. They had the ability to choose what was correct. But now they actually had to start doing it. They had to decide that I'm going to put this new approach to life into practice. 
See, when we decide to follow Jesus, it's not like he comes in and we become passive and we sit on the back seat, you know, with our hands folded and he just does all the work. No, our hands are still on the controls. We still make all the decisions. We're still the ones that determine ultimately where we end up. He is now there with us. He's the one that gives us the power and the ability to choose what's right. Without the new heart, we could never do that. But he's not going to override our freedom. Our hands are still on the controls. So if we're going to stop making a mess of our lives like we have in the past, then it starts with accepting the new heart. But then the next decision is, okay, now I'm going to approach life the way that God wants me to. And the way that we come up with an attitude, the way we come up with an approach to life, it's through two factors. It's through our perspectives and it's through our values. This is what our perspectives are. Our perspectives are how you think life works. When you look at life, what's it going to take to get what you want? That's how life works to you. What, What you're saying is, okay, if I do this, then this is what the outcome will be. So if I can just do this, then I'll get what I want. That's our perspective, how we think life works. It's interesting in the movie, one of the characters, their perspective changes very rapidly over a scene. And Duke, one of the characters, one of the dogs, he's in a situation where he's in an alley and he's up against a few stray cats. And he only sees like four or five cats. And he's a big dog, so he's thinking, I can take these dogs, based on, or these cats. Based on his perspective, he's stronger and he can get the outcome he wants. The outcome he wants is, you know, to stand on top and brag about beating these cats up. But then suddenly hundreds of cats appear. His perspective changes. What do you think Duke does? He turns and he runs with his tail between his legs because now it's not just about, okay, can I fight these cats? It's about, I don't want to get scratched by 100 cats. I got to get out of here. So to get what he wants, he changes his behavior. Our perspective changes the way that we live, how we approach situations. Same thing with our values. What our values are is what we want out of life in order of importance. We have perspectives, how we think life works, and then we have values. This is what I want, and it's always in an order of importance. It's always, okay, this is number one, this is number two, this is number three, number four. And a lot of us, our values are very similar. We have very similar things on the list. The difference is, is what's the ranking of the list? If you want to know what the ranking of your list is, you just have to look at what you do because you're always going to spend time and money and energy on what's most important to you. That's how you identify what's most important on your list. Another example from the movie, one of the dogs named Gidget, she's kind of a little lap dog, and she goes to this hawk and asks for help. Now, from the hawk's perspective, Gidget is food. And food is very high on his values list. So he's thinking, this is a meal. But you know what's higher than food on his value list? Friendship. So Gidget offers him, hey, I'll be your friend if you don't eat me. So he decides not to eat her in order to be friends. Food was on the list, but just so turned out that friendship was even higher. Works the same thing for us. Whatever's top is what we're going to do. We make decisions based on our perspectives. This is how life works, and this is how I need to go about getting what I want, and then our values, this is what's most important to me in the order. So let me give you an example. You have a college student. Actually, you have two college students. They're going to a local university. Their parents pay for school. If they get less than a 3.0 GPA, they lose their funding from their parents. They know this. So they're going into this class, both Christians, both students are Christians. They're going into a class to take a test. They're averaging a C currently. They have to get an A in order to maintain that B average and keep the funding from their parents. So it's very important. Both of them are Christians. Person number one, this is their perspective. 
If no, oh, I left out an important piece of information. They receive access to the answers on the test before they go into the test. Somebody tells them, hey, I know what the test is going to be, so I'll give you the answers if you want the answers. So they have an opportunity to cheat going into this test where they need to make an A. Person number one, their perspective. If no one knows, it doesn't matter. That's a very common approach. People take this. Hey, if nobody finds out about it, if nobody knows, if I can do this and it works for me and I don't get in trouble, then it really doesn't matter. It's kind of a pragmatic approach of just like, well, if it works and nobody catches me, then it must not be that bad. That's the perspective, the values. Easy life. Their parents are supporting an easy life, so they like that. Happy parents. If their parents aren't happy, they don't get the money, so they've got to keep their parents happy. And they want to honor God. They're Christians. Honoring God's on the list. It's not a question of if it's on the list. It's always a question of where is it on the list. Person number two, same situation. Perspectives. God sees everything. Hebrews 4.13 talks about this. Another perspective from Galatians 6, 7, and 8, what it says is their perspective is God will reward hard work, and if I take shortcuts, it's not going to turn out well for me. That's their perspective. God ultimately runs everything. He's the one that rewards, and at the same time, if I cheat, there will be punishments for that. Their values, they actually have the same values as person number one. It's just in a different order. Honor God's on top. They want an easy life, and they want happy parents, but honor God's most important. What do you think they're going to do? Person number one, what do you think they're going to do? Probably going to cheat. Probably going to take advantage of this opportunity they've been given, and they're going to cheat. Not saying they're not a Christian. It's just that their perspectives and their values were different. They're both Christians. But you change the perspectives and the values, and their behavior changes drastically. Person number two is probably not going to cheat. They're probably going to study harder in preparation for the test. They might even tell their parents before, hey, you know what, I'm really struggling with this semester and be open with what's going on. But they're probably not going to cheat simply because their perspectives and values are different. Another example, two people, both Christians. They both have a job where work starts early in the morning. And what happens is they sleep through their alarm, and they don't wake up until work has already started. So they know they're going to be late to work. Person number one, they take this perspective. Perspective is money makes the world go round. At the end of the day, money is what makes everything happen. you got to have it. That's their perspective. Because of that, their perspective is also, if I tell my boss the truth, then my job will be in jeopardy. So that's threatening my money because money makes the world go round. Their values, money is number one. Number two is their job because their job is where they get all their money. And then they're Christians. So honor God is on the list. It's just not that high on the list. Person number two. Perspective. God is ultimately my boss. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 talks about this. Another one, Proverbs 6, talks about how God hates lies. That's their perspective on life. Their values are honoring God is most important. Again, these people have the same values. They're just in a different order. Honoring God, then job, and then money. What do you think their actions are? Person number one is probably going to lie. Make up some story. Hey, you know what? The reason I'm calling you after work started is I actually had a flat tire. I'm on the side of the freeway. I was out of the car. I was changing it. So sorry. As soon as I get it fixed, I'll be in. They'll probably make up some excuse as to why they weren't there. Person number two, probably going to be honest. Probably just fess up. Hey, I slept through my alarm. And then accept whatever consequences might come their way. Very different behaviors. Both Christians. It's not a question of, is this person a Christian? It's a question of what are their perspectives and what are their values. Because your perspectives and your values determine how you approach life. 
That's the attitude through which you choose your approach. So if we want to experience life change, if we want to stop making this mess like we've made in the past, then first we start with going to God and saying, God, I need this new heart. And realizing that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. It starts with that. And then he moves in, his spirit moves in, and he gives us the power to choose. But then the second part of that is then it's on us. We then have to start to choose this correct approach. We have to make sure, okay, am I viewing the world the way that God says I'm supposed to view the world? Are my values in line with what God has said is most important? If you're a Christian, the question is not, is honoring God on the list? The question is, is it on the top of the list? And if it's not on the top of the list, then what has done work to get around it to be number one? We've got to make sure that our value order stays correct with the way that God wants it to be. Otherwise, what we'll do is we've got this new heart, but then we'll just keep making decisions based on our selfishness, our arrogance, and our damage. So if we want to experience life change, if we want to avoid making this mess because of our natural approach, it starts with asking God for the new heart. And then we have to change our perspectives and our values. We have to change our approach to life so then we can experience the life that he's intended for us to live instead of continuing to make the mess like we've done in the past. I've got a few next steps this morning as I wrap up this message. The first one, I'd really encourage you to memorize Proverbs 4.23. This verse just talks about the importance of guarding what is inside of your heart, the importance of having the right stuff in your heart. This is Proverbs 4.23. I'd encourage you to memorize it. Another next step would be, um, for the first time, if you've never decided to follow Jesus and you really want to experience life change, on your own, you can try really hard. You can put forth a lot of effort but you're not going to experience life change unless you receive this new heart. So I'd encourage you, for the first time, decide to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to give you a new heart. And then the final one is next Sunday, we have our beach baptisms. And so if you've decided that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this is actually your next step. And what baptism is, is it's a public statement that I've received the new heart, and I'm committed to following God with my life. I'm committed to choosing this new attitude, this new approach. So my values and perspectives, while they're not perfect, I'm going to start to line them up with the way that God wants me to live. That's what baptism is a statement of. So if you've made the decision that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to consider being baptized next Sunday. If you check either of those boxes for following Jesus or for baptism, we'll be in contact with you this week. We'd love to get you more information, also support you in those decisions. So if you'll join me, we'll go ahead and wrap up our time in prayer, and then the band will come up and sing our final song. Father God, I, um, I thank you for sending Jesus and offering us this new heart and offering us an alternative to our normal approach to life that just keeps getting us in trouble. God, I, um, for those of us who have chosen that, I thank you that you've sent him and revealed him. Uh, for those of us who have not chosen that new heart, God, I pray that you would help us see the, the urgency and the need to choose that. And then, God, I, I pray that as we move from that point, I pray that we wouldn't just assume that we view the world the way you do, and we wouldn't just assume that our values are in the right order, but we would actually do the work of finding out, am I viewing the world the way that you do? Am I ordering my priorities the way that you say I should. So then instead of just making mess after mess, God, we actually start to experience 
a renewed freshness and a joy that comes with the life change that you offer. We don't keep getting ourselves in the gutter, but we experiencing something new because we're choosing the attitude that you want us. We're choosing the approach that you want us to choose. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn from you. I pray as we go from here that we would align our perspectives and our values with you. In Jesus' name, amen.